This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm Amit Ghosh, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today, the topic of discussion is a phenomenon called central sensitization. We are joined by Dr. Elizabeth White from the Division of General Dental Medicine at Mayo Clinic, Rochester. Dr. White is a senior associate consultant for the Division of General Dental Medicine. She's also an associate course director and a very unique course titled A Systematic Approach to Medically Unexplained Symptoms and also integral part of our complementary and integrative medicine program at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Welcome, Dr. Liz. Thank you so much, Dr. Ghosh, for having me and for the kind introduction. It's easy to be a cardiologist sometimes. I mean, I know my cardiologist friends get annoyed by it. There are arteries which are blocked. You can see it. It's easy to be a gastroenterologist. There are all sorts you can see. It's easy to be sometimes a rheumatologist because there are blood changes because of arthritis and the joints, and you can see them in x-rays. But we have patients who have sometimes been to all these three specialists and many more. They are told by the doctor, everything is fine in your test. And yet the patients are suffering a lot. When I trained, I wasn't aware of this term, central sensitization. Can you please explain what the term central sensitization is? And is it known by any other names in the medical literature? So you're absolutely right, Dr. Ghosh. A lot of the patients that we see here in general internal medicine and at Mayo Clinic in general are suffering and they've had a long evaluation with sort of unclear diagnoses. So often we'll end up identifying central sensitization as the cause. And although a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with that term, central sensitization, we're all familiar, I think, with the manifestations of central sensitization and diagnoses like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, IBS, and among many others. And really it's incredibly common. Fibromyalgia affects up to 8% of the population, which is essentially one in 12 people. And Chronic fatigue syndrome affects up to 2.5 million people in the U.S., and 90% of those people don't have a formal diagnosis. So the term central sensitization itself has been around since the 1980s, and initially it was identified in the study of phenomena in animals and then later identified as the underlying cause of some of our diagnoses that we mentioned, including fibromyalgia with the chronic pain, fatigue, and other medically unexplained symptoms. So when it gets down to it, central sensitization essentially describes the pathophysiologic changes we see in the central nervous system with sympathetic hyperactivity and other neuroplastic changes that happen that lead to kind of an alteration in signaling in the nervous system and ultimately the pain and fatigue and other sensory sensitivities that we see. To your point, Dr. Ghosh, there is not really a separate term or another term for central sensitization, though people do sometimes refer to it as CS. From what I understand, and I've seen some of these patients, many of them here in Mayo Clinic, they start crying. The moment we describe central sensitization the way you just described, they have been told all along it's in their head. We don't know what's going on. Their blood tests are fantastic. And yet, day in, day out, they are suffering. A lot of them cannot get out of the bed. And 
They want to get up. They want to do the things, but they can't. So how do we suspect central sensitization in a patient? Do we need to do a lot of these tests and see them, get them seen by all these specialists before we can come up with this diagnosis? When do we suspect this? I think that's a good question. And the answer for you and I practicing here at Mayo Clinic may differ a little bit from our colleagues in primary care or practicing outside of Mayo, where people may be coming with symptoms and perhaps they haven't had an evaluation before. So lots of symptoms and different syndromes should prompt providers to think about central sensitization. And I think it's reasonable to pursue an evaluation, a workup, to rule out other potential causes depending on the symptoms. But at some point, if the workup is unremarkable, then CS should really be at the top of the list. But in, I'll go through a list of symptoms and syndromes that I think should really at least put central sensitization on the differential. So people with chronic pain, chronic pain syndromes or widespread musculoskeletal pain, individuals with chronic fatigue, particularly if they have brain fog and unrefreshing sleep should prompt that. Irritable bowel syndrome is a manifestation of central sensitization. Those with chronic headaches or migraines, paresthesias or sort of abnormal nerve signals that aren't necessarily rooted in nerve damage or a positive EMG, and even things like temporomandibular disorder, burning mouth syndrome, interstitial cystitis, chronic pelvic pain, those should prompt the, the thought of CS as well. And then in general, when you hear patients who describe just profound sensory sensitivities that seem sort of out of the ordinary. You know, I'm sensitive to light, I'm sensitive to sound, and even medication side effects. Or if you see that patient in clinic who has the list of 25 allergies on their chart, then that can also prompt at least having central sensitization on the differential. This is the phenomenon of central sensitization, which is going to be my next question as to what is this phenomenon or what we describe as pathophysiology. But all the other symptoms are the end of this central phenomenon of central sensitization, whether it is burning mouth or brain fog or pain. And these are real symptoms. The patient is not imagining it. I want to reemphasize they are not imagining it. These are real symptoms requiring real evaluations, rule outs of exactly the kind of uh, disorders because it's a very big mimicker of many other diseases. What is happening in the nerves? So that's a great question, Dr. Goshen. And to emphasize again what you said, patients are really suffering, whether or not their symptoms are rooted in something we see on the EMG or on their MRI scan, the symptoms they experience are absolutely real. And it comes down to that pathophysiology in central sensitization. So essentially it's a dysregulation of the central nervous system in both the brain and spinal cord. So lots of structural and functional changes that happen in the central nervous system. And it ranges from changes in neurochemistry, in CNS receptors, in opioid, endogenous opioid system activity. We also see cytokine dysregulation. So the cytokines that our bodies produce can be released. Those pro-inflammatory cytokines can have a major role in some of the fatigue symptoms that we see in a lot of our patients. There's dysfunction in the HPA 
axis or the stress hormone response. And then in general, that sympathetic hyperactivity causes an increase in signaling up to the brain. And then in central sensitization, we see a decrease in the regulating or quieting signals coming from the brain. And the overall effect is essentially a increase in signaling and pain, sensory sensitivities, fatigue, and those other symptoms that we see in CS. Surprisingly, a lot of patients with central sensitization, even when they are touched, they feel a pain. They feel some kind of a weird dysesthesia, burning kind of sensation. They use the word, it's vague, weird. I don't know, it burns. But also they say, even when the symptom is gone, I mean, when the stimulus is gone, the pressure is gone, they said the symptoms does not automatically go away. That makes people think, oh, you're making it up. While the dysregulation that you are saying uh, with the nerve transmitters or uh, HPA axis or whatever the mechanism is, is firing in a way that they are perceiving normal touch as pain. Is that what we think is going on? Right. And I go through this a lot when I see patients in our fibromyalgia chronic fatigue clinic. In a normal working nervous system, just touching someone isn't causing any tissue damage and shouldn't really cause pain. But what we see in central sensitization is that something that may cause pain is rather than just activating that pain receptor, it's overactivating the pain receptor. And even something like touch, which again, isn't causing any damage and shouldn't necessarily cause pain, is actually bypassing the system a little bit and activating the pain receptor. So the nervous system kind of maladapts so that it exacerbates pain where you otherwise might have pain and it can create pain where you otherwise wouldn't have pain but the pain symptom is just as real for those individuals, whether it's touch that shouldn't hurt versus you know terrible osteoarthritis of the knee, that's now a 10 out of 10 instead of a four out of 10. Just because you have central sensitization doesn't mean you could be having arthritis, you could be having other disorders. And does it amplify if you have arthritis in the bone? Is it something to suspect when the degree of pain is out of proportion to what we are seeing in the x-rays and things like that. Is that one of the reasons to suspect central sensitization? Absolutely, and that's a great point. If you see patients who have terrible pain out of proportion to the tissue damage that you're seeing, whether it be from arthritis, osteoarthritis, or inflammatory arthritis, or whatever else, then that's another really good reason to suspect central sensitization. And in fact, we know that in patients with autoimmune and inflammatory arthritis conditions, there's a higher incidence of fibromyalgia in those patients than the general population. Are there any tests? Are there any imaging tests, any blood tests, functional MRIs? Are there any definitive tests? So that's a a really good question and a kind of a complex answer. In terms of the research side of things, we do know that there are tests that will be abnormal if we get them. So tests like functional MRIs, looking for pain processing and certain cytokine levels and other blood tests that we might get on the research side of things can be abnormal. But the clinical practice right now is not to obtain those tests for the general patient you're suspecting with central sensitization. That may change here as things kind of evolve from the research to clinical standpoint with certain blood tests that are being developed and things like that. 
but we do want to make sure that again, we're not missing things. Just like you don't wanna pigeonhole somebody into saying, well, that's non-cardiac chest pain. You do the evaluation. You also wanna keep that differential diagnosis in mind, even if you're kind of strongly suspecting central sensitization. So when people come to us in our fibromyalgia chronic fatigue clinic, we do get a standard panel of tests to make sure we're looking at other reasons why those patients might be experiencing symptoms. And that includes sort of your basic labs, including blood counts and electrolytes, renal function, liver tests, monoclonal protein studies, celiac serology. You know, if they have muscle pain, getting a, a creatine kinase is certainly reasonable. And we also get overnight oximetry testing to evaluate for fatigue and ensure that they don't have sleep disordered breathing. But we can also use that test to look at heart rate variability and other factors as well. So one of the things which is very hard for patients to sometimes understand the concept is they have been through several evaluations, through several systems, they've done their own research, and they have been labeled with a lot of different problems, labels. Uh, a lot of them have even done, gone and got alternative medications. How should a physician or a nurse practitioner or nurse explain this to the patient, they already have so many things imprinted in their brain that I have this, I have that. And for years, they've held on to this diagnosis. And suddenly we are introducing this term, which is what is the real thing going on is CS. How do you do it? With patients who, like you said, are often shuttled from provider to provider, and maybe they've picked up a few misdiagnoses along the way, and hopefully they haven't, but sometimes they have been treated with medications for those potentially misdiagnoses. I think the common thread there is that patients are really just looking for answers. They've been told it's not this so many times, or it's not in my family of diseases as a rheumatologist, it's not in the cardiology, it's not pulmonary, et cetera, that they're really just searching for an answer. And so our approach is to really listen to the patient. I think giving patients a little bit of time as much as possible to hear out their story and to listen to their symptoms as they've experienced and kind of validate those symptoms and validate their suffering. Because really these patients often have suffered. And part of that is the symptomatology. And part of that is feeling dismissed by the healthcare system as well. So I think that's the first step in approaching those patients. And at that point, when I have this conversation with patients, I'll often reflect back to them all of the symptoms they've told me about. So you told me about this widespread musculoskeletal pain and this fatigue that's really debilitating and you're not able to get out of bed in the morning. But when, even when you get a full night's sleep, you're really not refreshed. And then once you go through sort of the symptoms and make sure they know that you've heard them, what I do is I like to frame it in a way that rather than looking for individual answers to these specific symptoms, doesn't it make more sense that there's one unifying diagnosis here that can cause all of your symptoms? And at that point, I go into the description of central sensitization. So essentially, I like to explain it that, you know, after major stressors, we frequently see that the nervous system can get overactivated. So the 
limbic system or fight or flight brain is meant to turn on and off in response to stress. And our brains really don't distinguish between physical stress, mental stress, or emotional stress. And at some point in that patient's story, and if you can be as specific as possible, knowing the patient's story after hearing it, well, after that job loss in January and the legal trouble that you had, your fight or flight brain went into overdrive. And when your brain goes into fight or flight mode, it wants to get as much information to you as possible, essentially. So it turns up the volume on signaling it turns down those regulatory signals and it can kind of kick you into a fight or flight hormone response. We see those changes plus a lot of other changes in the nervous system that lead to all of the symptoms that you've experienced, essentially an overactivation or a way the volume has been turned up on all of those signals that lead to your pain and fatigue and whatever specific symptoms they have. That's great. That's part of the program that uh, we have, describing it as a volume, all kind of completely cranked up to max, is a way of decreasing the volume. We are not able to eliminate it completely, but decreasing the volume to the extent that you can function as a patient. Is that a good way of explaining some of the treatment plans that we have? I think that's a great strategy to explain it. I think it's really relatable from a patient and provider standpoint to use that volume analogy that the signaling in the nervous system is just way overactivated. The volume is turned up. And our treatment approach is to talk kind of both about the pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic strategies. But I really make the point and emphasize that the pharmacologic treatments we have are just a small part of managing central sensitization. They help manage the signals, but they don't do anything to treat why you're having the signals in the first place. So really the self-management program of treatments that you referred to is the way that patients get better. And that includes things like sleep hygiene, positive thinking and decreasing focus on symptoms, stress management and relaxation, learning how to moderate and manage time with moderating energy. Nutrition and exercise is always part of that. You know, cognitive behavioral therapy to address mood issues and pain also. And then also really reactivating the part of the brain that has been dormant in central sensitization. So that front brain, we wanna feed that with communication and humor and creativity and socialization with people that you love, spirituality, et cetera. As I have this conversation with patients, just like you said, Dr. Ghosh, part of this is about expectation setting. You know, patients may have been sick for years and years by the time they get to us. And so we're not gonna change things overnight. They're not gonna change things overnight. Really, it's a process of kind of slowly reversing those changes in the nervous system, turning down that volume button until things are at a normal level. That brings out to a very important question. More recently, CS came in the picture because of COVID and what COVID did, apart from the hospitalization, the ICU, loss of jobs, enormous stress in families. There is this post-COVID long hauler where people are complaining of brain fog, tiredness, 
Is that a form of central sensitization? Absolutely. And we have to distinguish again, when we have patients who've had COVID and have persistent symptoms, we do want to make sure that those persistent symptoms after their illness aren't related to damage that's been caused by the COVID. So we're seeing a lot of people with shortness of breath, a lot of people with fatigue and brain fog, like you said. And I think it's very reasonable to evaluate those patients and make sure we're not missing some sort of underlying tissue damage related to the virus itself. But the post-COVID syndrome that's really defined by those centrally sensitized symptoms of fatigue with non-restorative sleep, brain fog, some people are having widespread pain that's new after COVID, or autonomic symptoms with trouble with blood pressure or tachycardia, et cetera. That is absolutely a manifestation of central sensitization. And the root, you know, if you think about not just having COVID-19, but also the stress that everybody's endured during the pandemic, those are major stresses on the nervous system. And so it's not really surprising that we're seeing a lot of patients with this post-COVID syndrome. And it's similar to what we've seen in prior post-infectious symptoms like post-polio syndrome, post-mono, post-MARS and SIRS. SARS and MERS even have developed into these post-infectious central sensitization type symptoms. If somebody has to come to Mayo Clinic, physician has to refer somebody, what is the process they should follow to get the patient to see you? In patients who you suspect have sort of the pre-existing diagnoses of fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, we have a very established fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue clinic that's really excellent at helping patients, educating them on what's going on. And part of that process is making sure we've evaluated other diagnoses. And so often those patients will come through general internal medicine and then have that fibromyalgia chronic fatigue clinic as part of that evaluation. For patients who maybe have symptoms that are new after a COVID illness, we are developing some additional resources for patients and providers as a resource for those individuals. And so our CARP program, COVID Activity Rehabilitation Program, is designed for patients who have persistent symptoms after COVID in that initial kind of zero to three month time frame. And then we are developing a post-COVID care clinic and that's really designed for those individuals, like you said, Dr. Ghosh, who have those persistent symptoms in that time period of three months or longer. And so part of that is, is education programs. So submitting an appointment request form through our general internal medicine regular process is one way to do that. And then we are developing an external website that will be patient facing to help give education upfront and then get them routed to our clinic if appropriate. And we're even developing virtual kind of self-led education models so that hopefully those will be available in the future as well. So I, I thank you, uh, Dr. White, for really giving us a very comprehensive understanding of CS, explaining the manifestation, the workup. But one of the things which you spoke was so very important, it's listening validating, supporting, empathizing, 
I think what you said was just validating to what most patients with CS have told us. Any last minute comments, Dr. White? No, I completely agree with you, Dr. Goshen. Even though we that CS is not a really easy diagnosis to give, nor is it an easy diagnosis to have, I think a lot of our patients are so relieved with the fact that they feel heard and listened to and that really this answer makes sense. I see so many patients who are like, gosh, this just really makes sense when maybe those three other diagnoses that they had prior to coming to Mayo didn't really make sense. And so I think as a provider, having the understanding of what's going on and gaining that comfort level of discussing that with patients, because once you're able to sort of communicate what CS is and how it makes sense for those individuals, my experience is that they're very open to doing the work to get better. And really that's what we want for our patients. I will just add that in patients, I think the phrase you've suffered is really a powerful thing for patients. And just so that they understand you've suffered, but we have hope, right? We have an answer and we have hope. And so that's part of what we're doing in in our CME course is trying to arm providers with education. So in our medically unexplained symptoms CME course, we're really giving providers education on what to do with patients who present with medically unexplained symptoms. And often, you know, central sensitization is the theme that unites those specific symptoms. But I think it's really runs the gamut in terms of all the types of patients that you might see where this discussion and sort of approach to management can be helpful. If you can give us a link of the CME program and just a website or when that can be held, I think this year everything is going to be online. Well, right now we're still planning in August for an in-person CME, but that that could change anytime. So I'd be happy to provide the link. And I think it's a wonderful experience and a great CME course for everybody from a primary care provider to those practicing in more consultative. And I will just pitch in for listeners that if you attend, you will not only meet Dr. White in person, our other colleagues uh, from the same group who excel in this uh, program and it's one of the highest rated program uh, division, the section in GIM. I have to give credit also to my course co-directors, Drs. Mohabit and Dr. Nanda, who are also, as you said, expert in this and wonderful mentors in, in this topic as well. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you again, Dr. White. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you have enjoyed the Mayo Clinic podcast, please subscribe. Please stay safe and stay healthy and we'll see you back next week.